Welcome in to 2 for 4 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, the Friday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. Really excited to get into the show, Mike. We got some awesome interviews lined up. We we did a ton of, a ton of interviews. Uh, we talked to Betts, the Twitter phenomenon is how I'm describing him. Could you describe Betts for me? We talked to him for about 20, 25 minutes about running back positional value, why he hates me because I like Trayvon Diggs, you know, Xavier McKinney, why he likes him so much. How would you describe Betts? So his Twitter handle is all 22 spelled out. And it's literally just a guy who watches all 22 and studies football constantly. Uh, it's seemingly, and pretty much like makes fun of people who don't know football, but like act <laughs> like they do is kind of the best way. He's, he's kind of what, what people, what people who legitimately like follow and understand football want to say to the frauds out there. He says them. So yeah. He's a, he's he even a, said himself, he's like always been that kind of kid who trolls people. But like, I mean, he does say some things where he kind of calls people out and it's like, you know, that's kind of fair. You know, like, it's, like, like, I mean, like he'll the, call PFF out for stuff and it's like, it's kind of fair, you know, you the know, stuff he says. Balance take. But it was fun to get him on the podcast. He's a super nice guy. We're excited for that interview. I also interviewed Curtis Weaver, brought him on the podcast again, former Boise State edge defender. He gave me his scouting report on Ezra Cleveland, who's getting hyped up as a first round offensive tackle. Also talked to Julian Aquara, Mike's favorite. I did two part interview with him. This first part of the it's like me is me just like taking my pants with these interviews. So these are yeah, all my a lot guys. of guys you like. Yeah. So Julian Acora, first part of the interview, this won't go on the podcast. So it'll be kind of like a Twitter series, but he walked me through all. Yeah. I, I gave him six plays to kind of explain to me to explain to me. He did the Mackay Beckton bull rush, Isaiah Wilson bull rush. And then we pretty much just like laughed at that Virginia game. They put in three different right tackles in that game because he was just just demolishing every single person in his wake. It was a, it was a good game to watch. And then in addition to Julian Aquara, we also talked to Zach Moss, the former Utah running back who was PFS running back one for some time and then kind of dropped down a little bit after the combine, but still a very talented running back in this class. Some great funny, uh, funny story about that. Julian Aquara against Isaiah Wilson. I tweeted it out. The, the clips of him bull rushing Becton and Wilson. And like the second one's technically not like your, what you'd call a bull rush. It's like a long arms one handed yeah. and Greg Gabriel DMS me right after I tweeted and said that second one's not technically a bull rush. And I said, yeah, I know I'd probably call it a long arm, but I did it for simplicity's sake. And that was all that was yeah. the interaction between me and Greg Gabriel, former director of scouting with, with the bears. <laughs> To give you some insight on that, on that move, on that play specifically, I asked him, like, did you go into that one? And the bullrush is like, yeah, he's been, he was kind of taking deep sets for a little bit after I hit him with speed, speed, speed. And he said he knew he could get inside and push him back. And then that's when he threw the long arm, he uses that long arm as a bit of a counter to come inside of it. So he's a very smart dude. Like, I think the interview was fantastic. This guy, again, watches a ton of tape, whatever. Screw you, Mike. I like him a lot. He's very smart. Um, I think he's going to be a good pro in the NFL. I also brought What's up with him, with like, that long arm. What did you say he did with the long? Never mind. Keep going. Stabs it in there. I don't know. <laughs> I also brought up like, you know, we've talked about with Aquara before, but like comparing him to Caleb on chase on like why chase on's getting this first round hype. And he is. And he's like, I don't know. Like I, my production's there. He said a big part of that's the injury. Like people forgot about him after yeah. the injury. He also told me he ran a, he clocked a four, six at his pro day, but he said he ran a four, five, three in the spring prior. I don't know what to believe, but like if he's running a four, five, three at his size, like what is going on? Like that is just absurd absurd athleticism he, very he moves like brian burns man like that, he yes. moves very similarly like because they dropped him into coverage a ton last year i was surprised i was pretty actually upset about it i'm like this is your best coverage defender i'd be yelling at this tv when he they have your best pass rusher i'd be yelling at the tv when they had him dropping into coverage but 
uh, he does move well in coverage. Like when he was in coverage, he still, you know, played pretty well. So I do think he has that versatility, like three, four outside linebacker in the next level. I, I talked to Weaver about how often he was dropped into coverage because at Boise State, oh, they put him in more. coverage a ton too. And he was saying, yeah, I don't know really, I don't really know why they did that. But I mean, I knew the playbook. Like the biggest thing is like I knew every play. Like I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing on every play. I knew what everyone else was doing as well. And I think that's a big reason why. But all right, enough about the interviews. We'll get to those later. They were all fantastic. Really do like talking to all those people, talking to prospects this pre-draft season has been a ton of fun. Before we get into the pub crawl segment where we kind of go through the rumor mill, I have to bring up this. The Edge Monthly Giveaway. Leave a review right now. Take a screenshot. Include in the review your favorite prospect in this class. And then email it to me at austin.gale, G-A-Y-L-E, at pff.com. It will put you in the running for 10 free Edge Monthly subscriptions. That includes the draft guide. You email that to me. You will join now over 120 emailers. And 10 of those people we'll get an Edge Monthly subscription. I might give out 15. I don't know. I'm feeling generous. <laughs> but just email a screenshot of your review with your favorite draft prospect in that review, and we're going to set, we're going to give out some Edge Monthlies. I don't know if it's 10, could be 15, 20, but I encourage you to do that after you listen to the Scorers podcast. All right, time for the pub crawl. Dave Gettleman, according to Ian Rapport, is saying – can't have too many good players at one position. We're not drafting for need. We're going to take the you know take the best player available. That kind of shtick. This this what this screams to me and it screams to a lot of people on Twitter. He's on Derek Brown. He's going all <laughs> in on the Auburn defensive tackle. You can't have enough beef in the trenches. I think he wants Derek. Dude, I've said this since what was it January? I know they traded for Leonard Williams and then just franchise him. I know they have Dalvin Tomlinson on that roster. I know they have BJ Hill on that roster. They don't need defensive tackle. It might be the only position on that roster they don't need. But once he gets around to that Derek Brown tape with, you know, that Luberderm on his desk, I saw that the hand lotion, <laughs> that stuff is going to be put to good use once he gets the Derek Brown tape. Uh, and I truly believe that like he's probably his number one overall play on the board. Now, realistically, I think cooler heads will prevail. Someone will talk him off the ledge. And they'll end up drafting Mackay Becton. But still, I do think that that's how it's like. He, he can't not love that Derek Brown tape. No, there's no way. I mean, I think he's locked in. I'm glad you brought up the Luberterm. That setup looks similar to yours, except you have two bottles next to your computer, which I found interesting. But Dave Gellman, man, I, I, we've talked about this before. We've said, what's the, dream, quick. <laughs> what's the dream scenario for the Giants at four? And what's the nightmare scenario? And every single time you say Derek Brown, Derek Brown at four or say Mackay Becton at four is just not the ideal scenario for this Giants team. You'd rather see them trade down and maybe take one of those players. You'd rather see them take, you know, Jerry Judy. I've mocked Jerry Judy to the Giants at four a handful of times this offseason, and Giants fans have been at my throat. But, like, that's the better player. Don't go after Derrick Brown. Don't reach for Mekhi Becton just because they're big. Like, don't draft for size at fourth overall. Draft the best player available. And I just have you don't seen think... how big they are, though, Austin? They're I think really I have. Big. I think I have. You know, another thing I brought up to Aquara. I don't think I got this recorded on the podcast, but we were talking a little bit before is that I said, I mentioned that Isaiah Wilson, you know, that um, him going against Isaiah Wilson, he's got a deep voice. He's like, his voice isn't that deep. I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I thought it was deep at the combine, but regardless, anyway, you said his voice isn't that deep. Yeah. He's like, I didn't think his voice was that deep. I, I was kind of blown away. I was like, dude, I, don't, I thought that guy sounded like, you know, I've never heard a voice deeper. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move forward here to the rumor mill. Next one, Jamal Adams. Potentially going to get traded. I mean, he's I think so right now what we know is that he's not going to be participating 
in the virtual off-season workouts. You aren't either, though, on our morning Zoom calls when we do check in. You're usually in bed, on mute, or whatever it may be. So I'm, I'm not oh, necessarily worried about Jamal Adams missing the off the virtual off-season workouts. But someone who will be worried or find it insulting is Greg Williams. And you said this before, but Greg Williams isn't going to stand for this. Jamal Adams could be a trade piece on day one of the draft. Dude, that's the thing. That's kind of like if I was a Jets fan, I'd be a little scared right now because the personalities, Adam Gaze and Greg Williams, they're not the kind of guys who love a hold, like who are just going to acquiesce to a holdout. They're not, you know, quote unquote players, coaches. I, I don't think that's not their, that's not been their MO over the course of their careers. So yes, they'd love to have him there, but you can bet that they'd move on in a heartbeat if they if they think he's going to be a distraction. So uh, new GM, Joe Douglas, I, I think this is real. Like, I think it could actually happen. They could actually move him. I don't know if it's on draft day or when, but I do think if he really is going to completely hold out, you know, two years before, right? This is, this is only his year four. Like he has two more years left on his deal. I think that's a real possibility that he gets moved. So if he does get moved, say on day one, because I, I mean, we've both talked about this. He's worth a first round pick, maybe worth Easy. a first round pick and then some depending on where that first round pick is at, you know, say it's yeah. after pick 17, after pick 20. That's the thing. It's like any pick outside, maybe the top five, like even if I'm the Chargers at six, he's 24 years willing, old. I'd be willing to give that up for Jamal Adams because, you know, he's good like that or Isaiah Simmons. I'll take Jamal Adams right now. You know, he's good. Like Isaiah Simmons could be good. I'll take Jamal Adams. I know he's good. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's 100% facts there. I mean, so landing spots, what landing spots do you think or teams do you think would be willing to give up this year's first round pick where they currently are selecting for Jamal Adams? I think the biggest one to me that I'd put is makes a lot of sense is the Eagles at 21. I mean, they'd, they'd move Jalen Mills to safety. Uh, I don't think that's who I want playing safety for me. It's just like a guess uh, that wouldn't that Jamal Adams is a little better. Now we haven't seen Mills really play safety, but I'm just going to guess Adams is better. So that one to me would be like circle it, you know, pen in red ink that they would definitely be interested and be willing to part ways with that pick for Jamal Adams. People higher than that, maybe the Dolphins uh, at 18, I could see giving that up. Maybe the Bucks at 14 with how rough their safety position has been of late. Now they've invested a lot, so maybe not, but they're, they're kind of in win now mode. So they don't really, they, they would, I think they'd bring on any sort of player who they know is an upgrade and talented, but they could still, but they do still need tackle. So I'm not sure that they'd 100% be in. I'm not sure I really see anyone above that, though. Anyone like in those top 13 picks, maybe the Jags at nine. Uh, that's, that's really about it that I could see giving up, you know, their number one pick to go get Jamal Adams. I mean, my favorite fits are Dallas and them giving up the number 17 pick or the Philadelphia Eagles at 21. I, I think those two fits and those two teams would make the best of Jamal Adams because I mean, he wants to go to one. He wants to go to a competitor. He wants to go to a team that can chase a ring. The jets are simply not that Two, I also think there's, I mean, I don't know Jamal Adams personally, but knowing from what I've seen on Twitter and how this guy, you know, approaches the game, this guy wants to go to a big market. He wants to go to a diehard fan base like Dallas or Philly and be a part of something big like that. And I think Philly would do it. Imagine adding Darius Slay and Jamal Adams in the same offseason. I think that would be a slam dunk for a Philadelphia Eagles team that isn't a draft haul away. They are a couple pieces away and maybe a healthy Carson Wentz from really doing some damage in the NFC. Yeah. So the interesting thing, though, about Dallas is that so two more years you'd get of Jamal Adams of like cost controlled. They 
they need they need as many guys on their rookie contracts as humanly possible right now. Like with what they got to pay Dak, with what they got to pay Mari Cooper, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, with what they got to pay Jalen Smith, with what they got to pay Ezekiel Elliott, with what they got to pay that offensive line. Like they need they they need just as much cheap talent as they can. So I'm not sure that like yes, it'd be a massive upgrade. Yes, they need that position, but I'm not sure that they're they'd be willing to necessarily take on that money in the coming years. Dude, that's a death blow. You're so right. I mean, Dallas can't afford Jamal Adams. I mean, they, they, <laughs> there's no way. I, but they, I, I mean, like they might, cause they are kind of all in for this year and he'd be cheap at least for this year, but true. true. Yeah. They I won't be able but to I, resign I agree him. though that the Dallas, if anything needs to trade down, we've talked about this before too. Dallas Vanding needs to trade down. So more of their roster is on rookie contracts because like there's so many guys on this team that are like up there with the highest paid at their position. It, it, can we go back for a second? I know this is the two for one drafts podcast, but I might go three for one here. How, much of a steal that Tyron Smith deal is yes them signing that a while ago I remember talking about it a while ago like man they're gonna look back on this deal and be in love with how that contract panned out for them because like he's one of the best if not you know I'd say one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL right now and getting paid at a very nice price for this Cowboys team dude so he has to hate his agent he signed an eight-year deal back in 2016 I want to say something like that 2015 eight-year deal He's under contract for the next four seasons at less than $14 million per year. That's less than it's Jack Conklin numbers. Tyron Smith versus Jack Conklin are making the same amount of money over there. I mean, four. Eric Flowers is almost up there. I mean, he's, I know he's like <laughs> 10 million a year, but like, come on, like Tyron Smith yeah. hits the open market two or three years ago. I mean, that guy's like close to he's 20 mil. He's not even 30 right now. Still is the crazy thing. That's just absurd. All right, let's jump to last part of the rumor hill before, before rumor mill pub crawl, before we get to the interviews with bets, all 22, if you will, Curtis Weaver, Julian Aquara, and Zach Moss. It's Desmond Kane. Because this Chargers team added Chris Harris Jr. in the offseason, they have Nasir Adderley coming back from injury, the former Delaware safety, you know, Derwin James coming back. I mean, it, um, Casey Hayward. I mean, this this is a secondary that's loaded with talent. Almost too many slot cornerbacks, though, in Desmond Kane and Chris Harris Jr. One, how much do you think it's going to take to move him? Is it is he a first round caliber player? Even though he plays in the slot, even though I see that as a starting player in today's NFL, or is he more of a second round type of pick value? And then two, what are some landing spots for Desmond King? Yeah, I don't think he's fetching a first. I just the slot cornerback position. Yes, we value it. Not everyone does, and this is what the last year of his deal. So again, you're not you're not locked into him long term. You're not necessarily sure how long you're going to be having this guy for. So. I think he's probably a second or third rounder. If they do move him, I, I just think with the Chargers window right now, second or third rounder is not going to be as good as Desmond King out the gate. The odds of that happening is crazy low. Third rounder is atrocious. If you yeah. can only get a third rounder back for Desmond King, you've made a mistake. That's like I would take Desmond King territory. I think second rounder is way I, like back into the first. I'm starting to think about it because I mean, he's just that good. And you've played nickels so often now in today's NFL. Like, But second rounder, I start to feel really good about what I'm getting in Desmond King compared to the other players I'm getting in the second round in this draft. Third rounder, it's a freaking steal. No, I I just don't think it's real that they'd move on from him. Like I I they you don't just sign it's bad business to go sign Chris Harris and then deal your like bad business to sign the old guy and trade the young guy. Like that I don't think people operate like that. I think they had a plan to get both of them involved when they did sign Chris Harris. Yeah. All right, some landing spots. Give me some teams that you think would jump at the opportunity to trade a second round pick for Desmond King. <laughs> I think this one's tough, but I think like the Rams might, they just lost their slot cornerback in the Kel Roby Coleman. 
I think they could be in the market. Packers just lost their slot cornerback in Tremont Williams. Now, I think they got Josh Jackson there, former second rounder, but dude can't see the football field. So Desmond King obviously hasn't been good in that role. I think those are two teams that I would highlight as being in the market for that. And two teams who kind of are in win now ish mode sort of thing. I, I, feel, I like the, I like the Titans as a fit. I, I think the Titans are a team that I think could make, could do with making some power moves like that. Not necessarily just sticking with where they're drafting and, yeah. and drafting best player available. I think they're a team that like, Hey, let's push the envelope a little bit. Let, let's try and add some talent to this defense along with who's been an injury prone Dory Jackson on the back end. I, I think the Titans are a nice fit. What's your take on that? I like Titans. I mean, I think they're again in win now, like, and, and they've been talking about cornerback in the draft as a possibility. If you get a second rounder back of the second round for Desmond King, guy, you know, is good. I think you take that in a heartbeat if you're the Titans. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the pub crawl here on the two for one draft. So I'm going to highlight this again, even if you listen to the top of the podcast here, but edge monthlies, I'm giving away 10, 15, 20 edge monthlies to, to those who email me austin.gale, G-A-Y-L-E at PFF.com, a screenshot of their review of this podcast with their favorite prospect listed in the review. Please do that after you listen to the podcast, but until then really appreciate you guys listening to two for one drafts. Let's get to these interviews with bets, Curtis Weaver, Julian Aquara and Zach Moss. Joining the two for one drafts podcast is the infamous, the Twitter legend, Betts. Betts, it's great to have you on the pod. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Of course. I wanted to start with this. I don't want to get too much into it because the animated anonymousness, I'm not fucking getting into that, but not knowing your background, I feel like is a cool part of it. But I want to know a little bit about why you joined the cesspool that is Twitter and why you're offering the takes you are, because they are very insightful, I think. Do offer great analysis, but I feel like it does come from some comedic troll efforts for sure. Right. So I've always been like that kid, right? The the little troll, even you know, back in like middle school, high school. Um, and I didn't even like football like back then. And then uh basically joined the Air Force. I was bored as fuck. Oh, can I say cuss word? Yeah, you got it. yeah, yeah, you're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I know some I can't. And then uh, to join the Air Force, I was depressed and miserable, found Smart Football's blog. And basically Smart Football, you know, Chris B. Brown, he's the one who uh, created this monster. So attribute everything to him. Um, Yeah, and I just kind of like found the scheme part of it. And that's where I like to be. Gotcha. And Mike, I know you had a question on just like draft analysis overall, because I feel like your, your targets have been set um, draft analyst currently and kind of like, you know, w- the processes and evaluation, et cetera. Give, give us your take on, you know, yeah. so I was going to ask, like, what do you, what do you think about, I guess the space as a whole, you're kind of an outsider in it and that you kind of just throw takes out randomly, but like people whose job is my job being like draft analysis. What do you think of like, you obviously make fun of it, but like, what do you, what do you think you need to have to be like an actual, to give actually valid draft takes? What do you think like needs to well, go into that? Yeah, you probably first, like to even have like a good foundation, you need to know like what a elite NFL player looks like, what a good NFL player looks like, what a, you know, a decent one looks like, or you know what a five tech in a three, four should look like. And I don't think, I think it's probably not that bad at like the higher you go, the more people know, but you know, these guys just starting out, they don't really, I don't think they watch enough NFL to know 
what what looks good or what it should look like right yeah there is something to and always with like speed guys you always say oh they they're running at a different speed in college and then they get to the pros and everyone's like and then like everyone's that fast like that's the thing so like you don't have that inbuilt sort of advantage that you'd see and so everyone kind of i think you get a lot of recency bias when you're sort of in draft takes because you're only comparing it to the college players you can't really necessarily compare people in their mind can't compare it to nfl players yeah i right. think a big part of it too is just you need like this like background like you need like a foundation of like understanding of the nfl but uh, but what's weird about like draft analysis and how popular it's become is that there is this like fandom aspect to it less so than there is with the nfl like falling in love with players and falling in love with like these you know these things it's it's, it's crazy it's romantic it's, like, I, it's, it's very it's, it's been it's been a little significantly <laughs> and i feel like that's where i feel like the best trolling is when you find you know takes that are just so driven by like this awkward romanticism and it, i feel like that's where i feel like i kind of get lost in the twitter world for sure oh yeah it, and they fall okay so my a thing i hate the most i think is uh after the catch ability by wide receivers like it's the in college it matters absolutely because he's probably the best athlete on the field but like once all those athletes are the same like carlos henderson is not going to be good in the nfl you know what i'm saying like he was a draft twitter darling a few years ago and it's like well, that's great that he can do that, but will he be able to do it against four two dot four two guys, four three guys? <laughs> you just have to ask yourself, like, question your own process, right? Like, uh, it kind of drives me insane. You you need to project to the NFL, not how good they were in college, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that doesn't get done enough either. It's just like question your own process and trying to get better at those things. Well, let's get to the actual takes here. Let's get to. I know you tweeted a ton about Xavier McKinney. The Alabama safety. We recently had Dane Brugler of the Athletic on the pod. I don't know if you hate him or not. I'll have to check your Twitter. But Dane Brugler, <laughs> there's a chance that Xavier McKinney could fall to round two. Maybe not be the first round type of player. But I know you have high hope. I mean, not high hopes, but high praise for him. Talk to me about what you see in Xavier McKinney. Well, let's just start off with the deficiencies first, because yeah, I could see second round just because he is a tiny football player. Like he's a small college player, right? He's going to look even smaller at the NFL level. Um, and and those guys are what? He's going to guard tight ends who are 6'2", 6'3". And he gets mossed a little bit. So you have to worry about that in coverage. Um, but what I love about him is just like studying Saban's scheme, right? You understand the rules. And he has the ability to play within the structure of the rules and break them if it's needed. Um, and I think that's special. It, you you don't see that a lot with these guys. Like yesterday, I posted a clip of Kenneth Murray just running into the back of you know one tech during his run fit, and he was right, but he didn't adapt mid play. And I think McKinney has like a special ability to make a mistake and adapt from it. Uh, specifically in the South Carolina game, he uh, he got burned on a post. South Carolina ran the same play a few plays later, and I think he picked it off. So it's just things like that, like the small things, that translates to the NFL. Like that, if you can do those things as a prospect, like you're going to be good at least in the NFL if you can avoid injuries and all that. 
What are your thoughts on, so I guess so you see a player at Alabama and, and you see him running Nick Saban's scheme and it's very translatable. A lot of things he's doing there are going to be what he's doing in the NFL. Then you see, gosh, you know, Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois and they're running quarters literally every single snap of the game. And he's just sitting there, you know, running the exact same role snap after snap. Is that, do you think that's something that, you know, learning a scheme is easy for guys that, you know, safety, cornerback, linebacker, or do you think that that's something that is almost, you know, like more difficult? Like, do you think there's more room for growth for a guy who hasn't done these things, or is it more seen as like a hindrance for guys if you are playing in these simplistic schemes projecting to the NFL? Dang, that's a good question because and then it depends on who it goes. Like, if Jeremy Chin goes to like Baltimore, well, then they probably will move him around and stuff. Mm-hmm. But if he goes to Pittsburgh, he's probably going to stay in like yeah. one role, right? Um, mm-hmm. So like, I guess versatility in that, like McKinney, he knows scheme from inside out. He plays Will, uh, you know, safety. He plays Mike. And, and that is impressive, like just knowing playbook. But I don't think it's like, I probably overvalue it to some point because I know he, it's like the space I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't. I don't think it's like that's a part where interviews probably come in, or you know, getting guys on the chalkboard. But I, I don't. I think it's impossible for us to be like. I think we could do it athletically. You could be like, yeah, Jeremy Chen could play, you know, Will in sub packages, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I find myself sometimes and Mike makes fun of me for this a lot, but overvaluing some of the interview process and knowing that a player is very smart and can learn things very quickly. And with Xavier McKinney, I'm sure if you, I haven't interviewed him, but talk to him. You, I'm sure you get very quickly that he learns fast and understands the game and all that stuff. But Justin I, it's Herbert's very smart. Of, Austin, I've heard. Hey, he's up. He's up. But uh, I, I do <laughs> think it's hard. It's hard to like really factor in like, okay, like this guy really, really knows what the fuck's going on. But can he actually, you know, I mean, like you said, small, there are deficiencies in his game that will translate with that IQ as well. All right, let's jump to this. You've buried me a bit on Twitter for the Trayvon Diggs and PFF overall top 32, <laughs> top 32 player in this class. And I think a lot of that too, though, driving him up is positional value because we do understand that there are limitations. Technique needs to improve. He's kind of all over the place in a lot of ways. But what's your opinion of Trayvon Diggs? What are his limitations? But also, what do you like about his game? What do you, what do you see that are good? What is good about Trayvon Diggs? So what I like about Trayvon Diggs, I mean, he's long. He, he's very smart. He's a, especially for a position converted, like uh, what he was a wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he understands like route concepts very well, like way above. Um, anyone else I've studied like the two other people, (laughs) but he just has a great feel for the game where I just struggle is that he is so long and, and he just can't run. He like trips over him. He, there's a phrase I've seen before and it's called like special mover. And I think CJ or Henderson, CJ Henderson, he falls into like the special mover category where you look at him and he's so fluid. And then you go look and he's six foot, like two, what was he? Two fifteen or whatever. Like two oh five, something like that. Two oh five. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I thought he was like five ten, but just by the way he moved. Right. And you look at Diggs, and he looks like, uh, like Brandon Browner kind of, you know, that awkward, he has the awkward punch and kind of the big, like when he's bailing, he takes these huge steps and, 
he's just, uh, I don't think he's a very good athlete. And I don't know if that'll hold up at the NFL level, unless you're in obviously a certain scheme, but um, yeah, I don't like the way he runs. Um, And that's basically it. Like, I think he's a great football player. I just don't think athletically he could hold up at the NFL level. So I've been saying you put him, I don't know how familiar, how like in-depth you are with like Seattle and their rules and like cover three. And obviously it's proliferated around the league enough that like, it's pretty ubiquitous. A lot of teams are running similar stuff in terms of just like, you let him play a silo and, and like, he's just, he's not having to track guys, he's not having to you know guard right. a dig route, that sort of thing. I, I think you got a player who can, you know, be almost like Byron Maxwell when he was in that scheme, like mm-hmm. he could shut down his side of the field. Like he could shut that down anything else basically was, was, but, but he could shut that down. That's how I see Trayvon Diggs. Now it's scheme limited, but certain schemes I think will covet that. Well, and you're going to draft Byron Maxwell in the top 32, <laughs> I guess is my question. It's not like a troll. It's like a real question. Hey, he got paid like 12 mil, like four years. <laughs> no, but what my take there is that like, if you can get a player that can be very, very good in your scheme and, and thrive like Byron Maxwell say in that silo type of role. But like, again, if it comes back to and maybe I, maybe it does make sense to push him down because like other teams won't value Trayvon Diggs as much as you would in your scheme. And for that reason, maybe you start to think about him as a round two type of player, because there are other teams that will pass on him almost all the time. I mean, not, he's not even on boards for some teams knowing that he does have those scheme limitations. I think it's, it's an interesting conversation for sure. I, I know you sent me a DM. You said, I want to talk Joe Burrow. I have some positional value takes. I need these takes. Okay. Seth Galina came on the podcast recently, had a pretty fiery take that Justin Herbert just can't play the quarterback position. So I need which to know your true, thoughts. Yeah. On it. Which is true. <laughs> which is true. Seth, Seth knows QBs, but uh, give me your take on Joe Burrow. Um, okay. So we were throwing around some comps the other day and uh, Andy Dalton came up. Right. And I know Joe Burrow is comp to like Romo, who else is he comp to? Um, I've seen Romo a lot. Joe Montana. Oh, shit. <laughs> but he, and I, okay, so I went back and I watched Romo, and I think that's doing a disservice to Romo. I, dude had like an unreal arm. And yes, the, the pocket manipulation is sort of the same, but Romo's is like, you know, the 501 course and Burrow's still in 101. Like, it's going to take a long time for him to get to the ability that Romo was at, right? In like 2011 or whenever his prime was. And I just struggle like taking Andy Dalton or I've heard Dak too. Like, he does kind of play similar to Dak. And I think just the arm strength limits him. And that's why I'm a big like Kyler guy. I just think Kyler was the best first round pick quarterback to come out recently. And it's just based off like his, his arm is crazy. He's mini cam, right? Mini cam Newton out there. I just don't, what do you guys think about Burrow? Like first overall, and maybe your top end is Andy Dalton. Damn. That's a harsh. I, so I just think you're you know, the quote unquote upside is not based off of arm strength. Like right. Breeze, no. you know, got I'm, to a level with like middling arm. I, I Brady's like arm got better as his career went along. And that, and that is the other thing. Like we've seen guys whose arm kind of get, gets better at the NFL level, the more they develop into like their late twenties, like Rogers coming out of Cal had 
all right arm. Like no one was raving about Roger's arm until like 2009 when he started that's really. True. So that's a thing that I'm not Joe sure. Joe Burrow's already in his late 20s, though, but that is so, true. Yeah. <laughs> Burrow's a little older, but I don't know. I, I don't think like perceived ceiling is necessarily arm strength based because his accuracy well, is just like absurd. Okay. And I overvalue arm strength to a degree. I absolutely, because I just think that's what can, right. We look at guys like Jared Goff and like, he can play well, but he just doesn't have like that Trump card, right? Like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady's Trump card is just being smart, like just better pre-snap and post-snap than you. And I think the margin for error with that type of player is far higher than it is with, you know, type of like a Cam Newton or a Kyler where, oh, okay, everything's covered. I'm just going to rifle this backside dig in there and then get a first down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives you a lot of room, room for leeway at the NFL level is why coaches love that. Right. That's what I was saying about, gosh, who was it? Ryan Finley all last year. I'm like, he has this margin for errors, like zilch at the NFL mm-hmm. level. And when it goes bad, like if he's not processing quickly, he'd throw like six picks in a game. Because I it mean, it's very bad. similar to Gardner Minshew too. And that like, you know, he just doesn't have that arm, like the noodle is yeah. you can't, you can't make all the throws on the football field. All right, let's finish. Let's finish this. That's so I want to talk about running back takes. Maybe your takes on this running back <laughs> class, you like in this running back class. And then where would you pick? the first running back in this class. Would you go first round? Are you fucking that guy? Are you that guy? That's no. Uh, so you guys have already converted me. I hate running backs. I do think coverage yes. is better as pass rush. Like I'm done fighting it. You guys, you got the data, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> underscore best. Here we go. <laughs> so where's my, so he's just I'm angling just like, for an ultimate account. He's just, yeah, angling. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only running back that I've seen so far is, uh, was that the Wisconsin Taylor guy? Um, I think he's special running the ball. Obviously, that's not very important, but it's very fun to watch. Um, I think uh, the reason I just have him one, though, is because teams are going to try to load the box because, you know, stop the run or whatever. And you put one alley player out there and he'll just take it to the house, which is, I, everybody says speed isn't important for running backs, but like when you have AP out there, always you wanted to see a one high box with AP because he's going to outrun one alley defender. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I know people like uh, LSU running back. I can't say his name. Edwards. Yeah. Clyde Edwards. Yeah. He'll be good. Like he'll just be like the dude that catches 50 passes a year. Where, where would you take Jonathan Taylor? Where would you take Jonathan Taylor? Oh, real. Like knowing what I know now, I mean, what? Maybe like the top of the fourth, maybe. There we I go. I like that. I can get on board with that. <laughs> like, you can find wide receivers in the second and third round that'll start for you for 10 years. Like, you can just find so many better players uh, that will mean more to your team than some. <laughs> Running backs are fun, but they don't. It's not a very important trait right now in the NFL. So, man, you you've done a great job interviewing from the PFF Ultimate account. I'm all for it. These, these <laughs> takes, you, you even referred to Taylor as that Taylor guy from Wisconsin. I even like how you refer to running backs on the pod. That's great. Well, um, that's really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll have to do this again soon, maybe closer to the season. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys.
joining the Two for One Drafts podcast again, a, a friend of the podcast, Curtis Weaver of Boise State. Curtis, last time we were on the podcast, you ridiculed me because I uh, called you a big boy. I remember that one. But uh, how, are, <laughs> how are things since? Um, it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, taking it day by day still. Um, combined, it was a success, I feel like, um, even though I didn't do everything. Uh, met a lot of people, good guys. Um, talk to them, pick their brain. That was a big thing, seeing how other perspectives are mm-hmm. going into the draft. Uh, made a lot of friends along the way at training, at the combine, like I said. But um, it's more of a patience game. Um, this whole thing, I feel like, is being patient and just working in the dark pretty much. Good to hear, man. Well, let's get into this. I think combine, I think a lot of people were very impressed specifically with your three cone. And I think if you watch the tape, you see the bend. You see how your ability to finish, see your ability to turn the corner. And, you know, it sucks that one number has other people saying it. When you watch the film over and over, you kind of see what you can do from a bend perspective. I remember before the combine, we talked for a bit. You said, I got the best bend in the class. And I think a lot of people saw that. What has changed team feedback-wise, what media think of you since the combine? Um, it's good. Um, going back to the knocking out the three call real quick, I was pretty mad. Um Legs were pretty shot by the time we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the things I was looking forward to to show teams that I can get into those six nine ranges. I'm not making any excuses, but it was like at the end of the combine, a lot of people didn't even do nothing. Yeah. Some people just said pro day, blah blah. But then pro day is done. But um, um, yeah, the combine. What was the question again? I'm sorry. No, no, I'm saying, you know, how much has changed since, you know, the combine? How much, you know, because I'm sure, I mean, media were not super high on you. I mean, PFF, I think, is still the highest on you of any outlet really out right now. But how much has changed since the combine for you? Um, Media is on and off that um, that type of um, type of stuff. Um, I don't really pay too much attention to it at um, at, and right now, pretty much. But teams are showing interest. I don't really know where I'm gonna go right now. Nothing is guaranteed for me. Like uh, talking to other guys, a lot of stuff is guaranteed for them. But I'm just really sh- um, just being patient um, when draft day comes. Um, hope I go first round, um, but I'm fine with anything. To be honest, I just want to make a team, show what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest thing. Just making a team. That was um, that's my dream. That was the dream of going to the combine and then making a team. Not really. So yeah. That's how things are going right now. What are your plans for the draft? Are you going to be spending it with family, uh, participating in the virtual draft? I don't even know what that means. I've talked to a couple of prospects. They don't even know what that means. Uh, what, what's your plans for the draft? Um, yeah, talking to some guys. Um, they're talking about the camera. I didn't get the invites for the camera for um, NFL. <laughs> I got uh, my agent said I got like some ESPN thing. So um, I'm just grateful for that. But I'm going to be at my agent's house in Texas. Nice. Um, I'm going to be there. With Denzel Mims, um, mm-hmm. he has um, a little. He has the NFL. He got invited to the NFL. Shout out to him. Um, so I'm gonna be with, the, um, be there with him. We're gonna watch day one, see how that goes, and then um, day two the next day. And um, it's just like a camera setup. Ezra said they sent him like two iPhones. Um, he sets them up in middle of the, or corners of the room, see the whole room reaction. Um, what is it like five people in the room though? Yeah, so I don't it's know. Not, a, <laughs> not a big room. But it's just, uh, I think it's just going to be brought podcast off. I guess they're going to go on live or something. Ezra really, uh, he told me some details, but he's not too uh, fancied about that and things mm-hmm. like that. He yeah. doesn't really know. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I mean, I want to get back more to you know your film and, and kind of evaluating you as a player 
after talking with as many teams as you have, I'm sure you've done a lot of Skype interviews and those things. Where do you feel like, given their feedback, you need to get better at the next level? In terms of like what coaching points are they giving you saying, hey, we like this, this, and this, but this is where we need you to play or this is what we need you to do to get better. What, what, what feedback has that been? Um, the biggest thing I saw um, or took away from the combine was after the first day, um, effort, um, consistent effort like mm-hmm. through plays, um, through the game, um, consistency pretty much to categorize it and have little points through it. That was a big thing for me, and I feel like if I change that day one, that would, like, knock it out the park. And then you have to put in the bull rush. Um, I showed glimpses of bull rushing, but they said putting it as a whole package and bringing it with you would be great. Yeah. And then just stopping um, stopping around and the edges, um, number one thing. Um, if you want to play every down in the NFL, you just can't pass rush. Mm-hmm. So those are the main three things I took away from them. Um, everything else was good. Football intelligence was good. Yeah. Pass rushing was good. Um, making plays was good. It was just the biggest thing I took away, though, was the consistency aspect of what they told me. Yeah. So with that being said, I guess it's it's interesting. It's hard to like coach that up. I mean, it's not necessarily necessarily yeah. something you can work on. It's something that it kind of just had to flip a switch. Is that kind of how you see it? Um. Yeah. Um. Putting myself right now, I'm in a better better shape than I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't. Um. I didn't put myself in the right position to go through the year and play. Um. As much snaps as I did. Mm-hmm. Um. Not making any, like yeah. So that was on my fault. That was on my end. I didn't, um, but I feel like going into the NFL, I'm, put my, I'm putting myself in the best um, like body shape, um, conditioning. I feel like to go through the whole game, go through the plays I get, and I feel like that was the biggest thing. I was just getting tired through games and um, not giving like I feel like my full effort. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about alignment at the next level. Have you gotten a better feel of where teams want to play you at the next level? I know when we talked previously, you're saying stand-up edge rusher, maybe in a 3-4, regardless, playing outside the tackles, those things. That, that type of alignment, is that where you kind of see yourself still? Yep, um, same as Boise State, um, just probably less dropping, more for Yeah, you dropped front. in the coverage a ton at Boise State. That's crazy. Yeah. I found that kind of wild. Like, you see yourself yeah. out there in space a ton. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Um, I knew everything. I knew like the concept, so it wasn't. I wasn't on like Rainfar Island over there, so I was still <laughs> dropping. I know what I was doing, but uh, yeah, um, it was still stand up. DN, um, the coaches asked me what I'm comfortable with, and I feel like that's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, not really changing into the um, three um, um, hand down, but if they ask for it, they ask for it. Mm-hmm. I'm always open to anything, whatever gets me on the field, but. Um, yeah, stand up DN as of right now, still with um, still dropping, but not as much as college, more um, rushing, stopping the run. Gotcha. Wait, wait, so I remember you saying you're checking the boxes from a football intelligence standpoint. What kind of questions like bring that out? Are they looking at, you know, what stunt are you running here? What What is the offensive line protection? Like, I guess I'd be interested to know, like, what questions they ask you to kind of confirm those things. Because with defensive backs or wide receiver quarterbacks, it's like identifying coverages and those things, but. For defensive line, I'm interested to know like what they're looking for you to understand at an advanced level. Um, so there's two sides of it. There's um, watching their film. Um, they're giving you some criteria, mm-hmm. um, some knowledge of their playbook, like the basic. Um, so that's that side of the ball. But usually, um, that was some calls, but usually it's um, watching your film. Uh, what do you get? What player are you in? Uh, what kind of um, defense are you in? Why are you in that defense? Uh, what is your angle on this pass rush? 
what kind of stunt is this? Yeah. Just seeing if you like, if you know your basic football. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, it was a home run. I knew everything. Um, I'm a big like football IQ guy. So yeah. that was good. Um, just knock that, knocking that out the park, just showing that, you know, you can learn fast mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, th- I mean, I personally, I talked to my, my colleague a lot, Mike, about, you know, football intelligence being super important because of these prospects, you know, freakish athletes have all these tools, but if you don't have, you know, the stuff between the ears to learn it and really understand the game. That's, it's a concern. I want to finish with this. I know you're close with Ezra Cleveland, the Boise State offensive tackle that after the combine, people are mocking him in the first round. People fall in love with this guy, even though I talked to him as well and talked to him about, you know, um, how much his, you know, his life has changed after the combine. He said, media finally likes me, but the teams always have. Give me a scouting report, the practice scouting report on Ezra Cleveland. Where, where, what moves can you beat him with? What moves does he beat you with? I'm interested to know the scouting report. Um, I'm not going to throw Ezra in the bus, <laughs> but I've been for years. That's my guy. You know, work out, we, work, we work out every day here at 9 o'clock. Um, scouting report, best feed in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, speed. Um, speed's my, probably not going to get with him. Yeah. Um, you got to get in that toolbox with Ezra. Um, Ezra's got way better from when we first came in as freshmen, things like that. So me just seeing him blow up first round grade. Um, I gave him a first round grade when he came out mm-hmm. myself. Uh, <laughs> nice. I, I knew what he was capable of. Um, two weeks before the draft or not the draft, two weeks before the combine, um, uh, people didn't know who Ezra was like, even in our training facility, like they knew like, oh, Ezra's good. Mm-hmm. He can bench, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, he's going to be one of the top rated um, players after this draft just because of the way he's good. He's a testing, uh, he tested good mm-hmm. and he's a field guy. He, he gives you one and two, uh, that one and two. So he can like, you can say seal himself at the top level. Mm-hmm. But um, Ezra's my guy, scouting report, best feed in the draft. Uh, he's super smart. He knows what he's doing. Uh, we talk every day. You're really going to have to open that bag against him when you mm-hmm. go against him. And um, uh, first-round draft pick calling into an existence. <laughs> That's great, man. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having you on the podcast, Curtis. We'll have to connect yeah. after you do get drafted. Best of luck moving sounds forward. Good. Thanks again. I appreciate you. Yeah, hey, sounds good. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former Notre Dame edge defender Julian Aquara. Julian, I hope you're staying safe amid this pandemic, and I hope things are going well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great, man. It's great to have you on the pod. You're a, you're a big fan of my colleague Mike's, and you're a big fan. I mean, PFF is a big fan of your um, of your game. I mean, they really do like what you bring to the table, and I think it's great to have you actually on the podcast. I want to start with this pre-draft process and how much it's been different, you know, because I've, I've talked to a lot of prospects, and with COVID-19, this pandemic, you're doing a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of FaceTimes, a lot of these different things. How much has this process been different compared to probably what you thought it was going to be? Right, yeah. I mean, uh, a year ago, I, I was watching uh, my roommate, Jerry, so he kind of go through his process and the things he was doing, going out in and out of the house, on business and stuff, so I, I, figured, I kind of figured that's what I'd be doing a year later. Um, with all this corona stuff going around, um, it's just important to really stay safe and, and take care of your health and uh, do the right things possible to kind of get you where you, where you want to be. Um, so my, for me, it's being around my family and finding somewhere to work out where I'm going to be sane and uh, do the things I need to do, be able to put myself out there and be the best possible. Um, so really just being safe and doing the right things, um, I think it's just the most important thing at this point. Gotcha. Well, talk to me a bit about your pro day. You didn't have an opportunity to show everything at the combine. I know you benched at the combine, but you, you ran a pretty fast pro day. 4640, as I think what I saw was reported. What other numbers, did, what other drills did you test in? Did you do a three cone, a short shuttle? I'd like to know 
all that went into that and what's some of the feedback you've gotten from teams sending that video out? Right, no. Um, so actually, uh, that four six isn't. I'm not really excited about that one. Uh, I ran a four five three last spring, so that's kind of. I was kind of hoping for for a lower number. Wow. Um, I mean, wow. it's decent, <laughs> but yeah, it's decent. But I mean, I, I wasn't able to kind of time the rest of the stuff. I was something I was training for uh, with my rehab. I was uh, more focused on getting back to football, being able to run and do all that stuff. So I was able to just really get my forty in. But I was able to get some drill drill work in to kind of put the send that out to coaches. My agent was able to send that out. Um, doing some kind of reenacting of the combine stuff that was out there. So I was able to get the combine drills and just kind of do whatever I needed to do to show that I was healthy, doing some bag stuff. Um, I mean, it, it was some trash cans instead of bags. So I was I was still doing I was still doing the most I could uh, do really. Um, but I just try to do really everything I can and um, I didn't do the L cone or three cone all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but I put out some drills kind of sound like coaches make sure I was make sure they knew I was good. Yeah, four six forty four five three. I don't care. That's fast for a guy your size. That is pretty incredible. I'm glad you brought up the injury. I know you went through a bit of a rehab process, weren't able to kind of you know contribute to the back end of Notre Dame season. Where are you right now from a health standpoint? Are you 100 percent cleared? What medical checks yes, have you done? Yeah, no, I'm 100 percent to go. I'm, I'm ready to get things going. I've been doing a lot of drills and staying up to shape, and I've um, been running around doing everything I need to do. Um, but yeah, I would say my my ankle's 100 percent. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Great, man. How, how much has your brother helped you out in this process? I know, I mean, I mean he's a guy that in the NFL has slept on a little bit who has gotten better with every year in the NFL. How much has he helped you throughout this process, training, preparing for interviews, et cetera? Right. Um, I think he's just kind of been telling me to kind of stay level-headed and just take it day by day, really. Um, that's, I think it's the most important thing. He's never been through something like this either. No one has. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, all, it's all new to us, and it's important to kind of adapt and, and just take in everything you can do one, one day at a time. Uh, I've been t- Tell the coach the same thing, and um, just really, I think it's important to kind of take things day by day. You don't know where, where your future holds at this point, so it's just important for anybody, everybody to stay healthy. And uh, for the main, for football wise, and he just tells me to kind of stay level headed, make sure I'm working my, my hardest and being safe and doing the right things. I'm um, taking care of my body and staying up in rehab, staying up in my workouts, make sure I'm still staying strong. The season can start next week or not next week, but you, you know, just soon enough. To, <laughs> I mean, things can change. Uh, you never know when everything can be clear. Just kind of get that go ahead and go. You know, throughout this entire process, I'm sure you, you're getting on a lot of interviews with the NFL teams, with other media, and they're always telling you what you are and what your strengths are. I'd love to hear from you what you see separates you from this edge class, what you see are your key strengths or your you know, differentiators in this class. Right. No, I think I'm, I think I'm the best thing is that in this draft, really, um, and in terms of what I do, I'm able to rush from left side, right side. A lot of guys pick a preference, but I'm able to do a lot of things and cause havoc from different sides of the field, inside, through technique. I can rush from anywhere, really. Um, uh, there, are, there are things I want to work on, but in terms of me, I think I'm most versatile defensive end of this draft. Being able to cover guys, I drop in coverage a lot of times, and I've, I've, I've had two career interceptions in my belt. So uh, that's a test of my coaching staff and position they put me to succeed. Um, I think I'm going to do a lot of things that a lot of guys can't. Um, I, I think I'm probably the most, I'm the fastest and physical um, in terms of creating havoc in the field. I'm, I've done it consistent on a consistent basis for the past two years. Uh, and really, a lot of guys don't see that. But in my eyes, I think I'm the best defensive in the country. Really. What, what part of your game do you think is being slept on right now? Because Mike and I have talked about this, and that like people don't realize that you're this athletic freak that's comparable to Chase Young, Kalevon Chase, on these other very explosive edge defenders. People don't realize you have this high end production at Notre Dame. I'd be interested to know what you think. Not enough teams or not enough members of media know about Julian Aquara. Um, I think it, it kind of started when I got injured, really. Uh, for some reason, a lot of guys forgot about me. Uh, it's like I kind of fell off with the world, really. I think a lot of the guys doubt my injury and think 
absolutely gone for all this time. And it's not that I, I'm 100% ready to go. Um, I'm not going to miss a beat, I'm not going to miss a step. Uh, in terms of improvement, I definitely want to improve my run game. The game is so much high for growth. That's such a high potential and such a high scenario reaching. I haven't tapped into that yet. Nothing to be able to go into the NFL and be able to tap into that a little bit with coaches and just players around and just learning more about football and be able to earn a point on my technique. Um, there's such a high ceiling and such a high potential I could reach in the best defense then um, in a couple of years in the NFL. And I, and I, and I see it for myself. I have confidence in my abilities and everything I can do in the NFL organization. I'm glad you bring up the potential and the ceiling because I feel like that's so important with your evaluation. You see the athleticism, you see what you can do in the high end. If you, you know, with the best coaching, with the best improvements, you become one of the best defensive ends in this class. But how do you get to that potential? How do you see yourself reaching that high ceiling? Because these types happen every year in the draft. These guys with all these tools, but not the ability to actually reach that ceiling. How do you reach that ceiling in the NFL? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just coming out with the right mindset every day and it starts to practice, uh, making things I have it. Um, the way I rush, knowing, studying, I think it comes to film study also, um, being able to learn from veterans and take coaching, um, just doing what the coaches say I need to do and, and knowing my weaknesses and knowing I improve on and work on every day to be the best. Um, but I think it's really just doing that, staying up in the weight room, working on my technique and doing those two things and make sure I'm being physical with each and every player, running the ball, doing everything I need to do, make sure I'm making plays for my teammates uh, while I was selling out and, and, and making a play across the field. I can sideline to sideline players. So, uh, that's where I, where I see myself and just be able to do those things day in, day out, play in, play out, and train ball, really. Um, so there's such a high motor that, that, that I have, and um, just using that, utilizing that every play is the most important thing. I'm glad you brought up film preparation because I, I think that's just so important going into the NFL. Opponent study, watching film on yourself to get better. In a given game week during the season, how much film on your opponent, on the opposing offense are you watching, and what exactly are you looking for on film? Right. Um, I'll probably say I, I get in on a game, regular game week uh, outside of meeting rooms or outside my personal study. I'll probably get about three, four hours uh, for a week. Um, uh, that's pretty much just going over their top plays, going over watching offensive line tendencies, tendencies uh, really studying on offensive line, make sure I'm writing everything down. I, I try to go, around, go go through the room about every day, really. Um, but really, uh, it's just a lot of prep, uh, personal preparation that I put in and things I look for and um, the way I study my game. And um, I, I watch myself and critique myself really in the highest way possible. So I make sure I'm understanding my weaknesses and everything I need to do, make sure I'm putting my teammates in the best position to succeed, myself in the best position to succeed, just know what I need to do going preparation for the next week I want to finish with this. What is the NFL getting on and off the field in Julian Aquara? You know, give me the full overview of, you know, really what you're bringing to the table. All right. For me, um, what they're getting on the field uh, is the best defensive end in the country, the draft, really, in the country. Um, so I, I would definitely say that. Um, getting the first player, the sideline to sideline, cover guys, do everything you need to do, it's hard working. Um, just loves his teammates, love the game of football, wants to learn more and be the best, really. Uh, I definitely see myself as the hardest working group everywhere I step into and just be able to dominate everything I do, whether that's on the field, off the field. Um, but off the field, I, I would say a guy who loves the community wants to help others uh, get to a point that, that he hasn't tapped into yet. Um, I want to help the youth, and especially Nigerians, who would be my position today. I'm not supposed to be in the position today, so I'm coming from Nigeria to be able to help them be a great teammate, be a great teammate to my uh, to my teammates, really, um, making sure they know I'm there to learn and want to win the Super Bowl, bring the Super Bowl organization. Um, being the best player possible, um, just helping others and really just staying out of trouble, um, doing, doing the right things on and off the field and take care of my body, knowing the coaches have complete faith in me and what I'm doing. Um, there's no reason to worry about me when I'm away from the building today, know what I'm doing, either studying, getting my playbook or chilling at home, really. Um, uh, 
just getting getting better really uh so I, I'll, I'll say they're getting that type of player really julian i really appreciate the time this was fantastic uh, i wish you the best of luck moving forward thank you appreciate it Joining the two for one drafts podcast is former Utah running back Zach Moss, a guy that I was very disappointed didn't participate at the senior bowl. I wanted to see you down there in Mobile participate at those. I mean, working with those guys, I think it would have been a great opportunity to see you play. Obviously, I know the reasons you did it, but still missed you out there in Mobile. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Um, no complaints. Yeah. How, how has this, you know, the COVID-19, the pandemic right now really affected this pre-draft process for you? I've talked to a lot of prospects and they're saying a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of FaceTime, working yeah. out inside. It must be really difficult. Yeah, man. You know, it's been a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of FaceTime, Skype calls and things like that um, during this process and things. But, um, you know, luckily for me, I've been able to still go to my facility where um, I've been able to work out still, um, you know, and still get some good work in. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, let's get to your tape a bit or your prospects in the NFL. You know, going going into the NFL at the running back position, it's so important to force missed tackles. It's so important to add yards above expectation. A big reason why PFF is very big on your game is because you have that ability. You force a lot of missed tackles at a very high rate. What does that come from? Is that weight room? Is that film study? Is that just God-given ability? I don't know, because it, it, it seems to me that just people can't bring you down. Um, honestly, man, I think it's, you know, what it comes from is really just your effort and your will. Mm-hmm. Um, to not get tackled by, you know, one guy and, um, you know, always trying to continue to fall forward um, and try to make positive yards. You know, I was always taught um, since I've been playing this position to not get tackled behind the line of scrimmage and definitely not let one guy, you know, tackle you. So, um, you know, I just started going to every game, set a tone and, um, you know, make things a little bit difficult for the defense. Yeah, I think specifically getting specific like what you do really well. I think balance is something that probably comes up a ton when people talk about the strengths you have and also your ability to start, stop and start. I think your jump cuts are very underrated in this class. However, you're not talked about with the J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylors, these these other big name running back prospects in this class. Why do you think that is? Why do you think these guys are sleeping on you a little bit? Um, I mean, you know, I played in the Pac-12, so, you know, a lot of our games came on late at night, especially on the East Coast. Um, you know, a lot of these guys played on primetime TV, you know, the Ohio States, the Wisconsin's, um, you know, and things like that. But, you know, I, that's part of something that I can't control. You know, I went out there, I put the stats up and the numbers up. Um, I think that holds up very, very well to those guys. And those guys are very, very talented themselves. Well, what do you say to people that have like concerns with your top speed? Because I think you ran a 40 yard dash and a lot of people are saying, oh, man, you can't win with that kind of speed at the running back position. I, I view it differently. I'm sure you do as well. You know, what what do you say to people who are saying you're not fast enough or whatever it may be? Yeah. So, you know, at the combine, I did run a slower time. Um, you know, I, I was injured at the time and um, I came back out uh, a couple of weeks after the combine, after, um, you know, getting my hamstring a bit healthier. And I ran a four five two. Um, but, you know, if you, like I say, if you turn on the tape, um, I've never been caught from behind. You know, I'm, I have have these explosive long runs, you know, 80, 90 yard runs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's the most important thing is, you know, what you see on film instead of a guy just running out there in a shorts, shorts and a T-shirt. We see a ton of committees in the NFL now, a lot of committee type of backfields where you're running with two or three different guys in a, in a given game. And yeah. with, with that being said, you need to offer different skill sets if you are going to be a part of that committee. You know, 
specifically looking at the running back position, there's pass catching ability, being able to run routes from the back out of the backfield and in the slot. Obviously, you know, it's got to have safe hands. It's it's pass protection of those kind of ranging traits, running the football, obviously one vision, force with tackles. Where do you think you separate yourself from the class? Where do you think you, your trump card is or your calling card is in, in, in those traits? Um, you know, just being as well-rounded as I possibly can, I think, you know, my pass blocking is what definitely, you know, separates me from a lot of guys um, in this draft class. You know, um, did a lot of it um, over the past few years at Utah and things like that. So I think my uh, pass blocking, you know, that's one of the more important things. Um, like you said, you know, pass catching and running the ball, but being able to be a, every down back, a third down back, someone you can count on a third down to pick up a blitz um, and keep the quarterback clean is very important. Yeah. And so I think this entire process, you have a lot of people telling you or indirectly or directly how good you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, all those things. I want to talk about, you know, scouting the running back position as a whole. You know, what do you think is the most valuable traits in a running back that you need to perform at a high level in the NFL? What do you think if you're looking at this class, like what do you want in a running back that's going to play for your football team? Uh, you know, just a guy that can do everything, you know, that can come in from day one, you know, can has a very, very high IQ, you know, to, you know, learn the playbook and be a guy that can, you know, what we, what they call it is a, a plug and play kind of guy, you know, a guy that's going to be able to, you know, pick up the blitz, you know, not, you know, be scared to pick up blitzes and things like that, you know, have the will to want to do that. Um, you know, and the guy that can run between the trenches, you know, a tough guy, um, you know, and that's the biggest thing, you know, besides speed and, uh, catching ability, you know, those three uh, attributes, I think, right there make a pretty good solid running back. Absolutely, man. Well, I, I want to get into football IQ a little bit. I'm sure on these FaceTime and Zoom calls, teams are asking you about specific play concepts, play design, those things. You yes. know, what's what's your opinion of the importance of that? And how much film are you watching to kind of improve your football IQ? Do you see you know, your football intelligence, your understanding of the game as a strength of yours? And what goes into that? Um, you know, Having a football IQ, a very high one, is very, very uh, important. You know, I think it allows players to, you know, go out there and, you know, the best players play without thinking as much. You know, when you can go out there, you can just play off of instincts and things like that. Um, it allows you to play a lot faster um, and understanding what your opponent is supposed to do, um, what your team is supposed to do and what you're supposed to do in certain plays and where you're supposed to be um, is very, very important. Knowing the scheme that you're running, you know, uh, what type of look you should get out of this scheme. Um, all that type of stuff just adds to the success you can have if you're going out there and putting in the time. When, when you talk to NFL teams, what what have they said to you about usage? Do they see you in a certain role at the next level? How they want to use you? Is that there any been have there any been have there been any conversations about that? Uh, no, we haven't. Um, you know, I've been able to talk to numerous teams um, since the combine on Facetime and things like that. Um, but the conversation of you know how they want to use me, where they see. Um, me being the best fit at for a team. Um, we haven't really talked about that much at all. All right, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck moving forward. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, like I said, best of luck uh, in this draft. Thank you, my man. Thanks for having me on.